You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. There are many things that we humans cannot explain, but the greatest of these is our own consciousness. I sense, feel, think. Perception, emotion, intelligence. All of these can be understood today partially, tomorrow fully. But even if all mental functions can be described, the great mystery will likely remain what it feels like inside, the inner experience of personal awareness, hearing music, seeing color, feeling love. All the obvious things which, when one thinks hard about them, are astonishing. There are so many theories of consciousness. Why is consciousness so baffling. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. I start in Berkeley with a pioneer in altered states of consciousness and in parapsychology. Not because these are traditional ways to study consciousness, but because these are not. Charles Tart is an iconoclast. Charlie, why is consciousness seemingly so mysterious? It's really a good question why it should be mysterious, because every one of us experiences what it's like to be conscious. But then when you try to force it into a framework of explanation that fits into contemporary science, you run into all these sorts of problems. You know, especially if you take a, a mainstream materialistic position, you basically put a lot of meat together to get a brain and then consciousness occurs. How in the world does that happen? It makes no sense. So a lot of people then try to basically pretend that consciousness isn't really important since they can't explain it, or they come up with far out ways to say that consciousness just happens when you bring the right components of physical stuff together. But none of those explanations is really satisfactory. I don't think you can define consciousness, no matter how hard you try. Because defining is one of the things that consciousness does, but why should we expect the part to be able to define the whole? But then how do we then make progress? We can make progress by finding out what consciousness does, how it can do it better or worse, what kind of variations you can do in it. One of these things, for instance, is if you want to look at what makes up consciousness, it's interesting to look at time and space. We ordinarily think that we perceive things in terms of time and space because space is really out here and time is really flowing on. And yet when we have dreams, 
we perceive things as happening in a space and in a time that we don't think at all is real space and time. But it's not just that there's a real space and time that we happen to perceive. Space and time are constructed by the mind. That's one of its fundamental qualities. And I think it's especially dangerous to our ultimate understanding if we assume that the brain physiology is the whole story and not bother to look at other things in the mind that don't conveniently fit into that. It's like they will take care of it someday. Well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Meantime, human minds do things that it's very hard to attribute to human brains. And to just ignore those things in our total picture of reality, that's, that's very parochial, that's very misleading. Although many support Charlie's worldview, that mind is more than brain, most brain scientists are confident that as research progresses, mysteries of mind will be solved. But a few brain scientists resist this materialist trend. One is Roger Walsh, a psychiatrist at the University of California, Irvine. Roger studies Asian philosophies as meditative participant as well as neuroscientist. Roger, I, like you, have been fascinated with consciousness my whole life, and I, like you, did my early training in neuroscience. What do you feel when you hear some philosophers say that consciousness it's just an illusion. Well, I understand completely because that's exactly what I believed at one stage. I was like you, actually, uh, trained as a hardcore neuroscientist. I did my work on brains. I analyzed brains, and I pretty much thought that that explained it all. Then a couple of things happened to me, and my worldview changed. One thing was I went into psychiatry and, of course, found that there are uh, social and cultural and inner, inner subjective factors that are crucial. But what really turned my world around was beginning to explore a meditative practice. And as I turned attention inward and began to explore consciousness subjectively, directly, I came to feel that there was much more to this extraordinary phenomenon than I'd seen in any neurology textbook. And I began to appreciate the wisdom that we're all heirs to from the great uh, contemplative traditions and began to explore those. And you, you've kept both sides of your mental life very active. Do you find those uh, warring against each other? Well, I certainly did at first. I found it a very difficult marriage. It's obviously clear that consciousness is intimately related to the brain. If you bust up a brain, you don't uh, see a lot of consciousness left. Yet, on the other side, we have a great tradition of inner explorers who tell us that actually when you look very carefully directly at consciousness, you find something else. You find that consciousness itself is creative and that it has enormous creative powers. And in this process, do you find yourself sensing that consciousness is, has more of an independent reality or a derivative reality? Well, I wrestle with that question. What I can tell you is that consciousness has much greater power, much greater uh, plasticity, and certainly seems more independent than our contemporary scientific research assumes.
contemplative practices no doubt produce inner sensations, but I'm skeptical whether anything real can follow from feelings. Inner sensations cannot prove that consciousness has an independent existence. I'll shift paradigms from inner subjectivity to computation theory. I go to Boston for this radically different view of consciousness. Ray Kurzweil, inventor and futurist, forces us to rethink what it means to think by considering non-biological intelligences. Ray, how do you look at consciousness? I think fundamentally consciousness is its own sense of our, of our own awareness and is a synonym for subjectivity. And science, scientific inquiry, is a synonym for objective observation and then making deductions from there. We may look at an entity and look inside its brain, which may be biological, non-biological. We may see that it's building models of its own experience. It may be making decisions just like the way a human does. But is that just a simulation of a human being? Is it really have a conscious experience or is it just some automatic process? Some people assume that, no, you have to be biological, will say no. Other people will say yes. But fundamentally, there is this gap between objective observation, which is science, and subjective experience. And there's no consciousness detector, objective scientific consciousness detector, we can even imagine building. I, I think what you're saying is there are two kinds of consciousness. One is sort of the apparent aspect of consciousness that a third party could judge, and another is the internal experience of it which is beyond science. That's right. And my prediction is that the apparent consciousness, seeing an entity that is really very convincing when it, when it exhibits these emotional reactions, uh, that will occur within about a quarter of a century. In non-biological In non-biological systems. So we'll have systems that can pass the so-called Turing test because they're really convincing when they talk about having the human range of emotions. But you talk about fundamentally, philosophically, there's no way to prove that it's conscious. And, and is this something just beyond our technology or is it in principle impossible forever no matter how strong our technology becomes? Fundamentally, there will always be a philosophical gap because there is this gap between subjective experience and objective observation. And people really need to realize that and not talk glibly about consciousness it's, as if it's just another biological process like di digestion or lactation, and we can just discover the biological basis for it. Ray is sure that in the foreseeable future, non-biological intelligences will pass every possible test of consciousness. But whether they will really have inner subjective experience is forever impossible for outer objective science to ascertain. I agree on both, but remain terribly unsatisfied. Consciousness is inner subjective experience. I go back to Berkeley to ask philosopher Hubert Dreyfus about his criticism of artificial intelligence, AI. Why in the world would one think that just by putting in more and more 
computer power, you're getting any nearer consciousness. The whole history of AI has been promises that once we get more computer power, we'll do it better. They think, well, the brain does it, and it's got billions and billions of neurons, so we, when we have billions and billions of neurons, we'll do it the way, something like the way the brain does it. And what's wrong with that argument? Because it's a gigantic fallacy. The brain is doing it at several milliseconds per processing. The brain can't process billions and billions of bits in millions of a second the way these supercomputers are going to be able to do it. So whatever the brain is doing to produce consciousness can't possibly be what these super things are going to do to produce consciousness. There's no reason whatsoever. There's just more and more of the same stuff going on. Why at some point that stuff should become conscious and have a point of view on the world. There's no reason why it should, except they say, but well, the brain did, and that's not a reason. One reason could be the, the concept of critical mass, that at some point you generate a different order of being, a, an emergent phenomena. Well, you can say that it's sheer bluff. I mean, there's no reason from anything that we know about brains or computers or critical masses or, or turn it, tipping points or anything else that justifies the thought that we'll go from third person to first person at some crucial point. And always in the background is the thought, well, the brain did it. But that's irrelevant, I just want to keep saying. The brain didn't do it by reaching a critical mass, not at all. The brain has done it in some evolutionary way, and we better spend our time not imagining what's going to happen when we reach critical mass, about which we know nothing, absolutely nothing. We better do neuroscience and see if we can figure out how the brain does it operating at a snail's pace. Bert believes that in whatever way the brain generates first-person internal consciousness, computers will never do it. Never? Why not, Bert? If consciousness is just the product of brain, what's stopping computers with unimaginable speed, radical architecture, and never-ending improvements ultimately from exceeding the brain? What's missing? What is it Alva Noe, a philosopher at Berkeley, claims to know what's missing. He rejects a purely brain-based theory of consciousness. How can he do this? Alva, you said that the brain is less materialized mind, which is the neuroscience paradigm, than spiritualized matter. What did you mean by that? You see, the way people have approached the problem of consciousness, they've taken for granted that consciousness is something inside of us. And they've simply come along and said, well, some people might think it's spirit, which is that stuff inside of us which thinks and feels and decides. We think, in fact, it's the brain. But the, the job that the brain is being picked out to do is the job that, if you like, an older spiritualistic, dualistic tradition has, has established for it. And then they're surprised that they can't understand how this thing, these cells inside of us, can accomplish that very difficult job. And then we seem to face this big mystery. But the mystery is the result of the assumption that consciousness is something that the brain is doing, rather than something that 
that you and I are doing. But, but the mystery is, if it's not my brain that's doing it, what is doing it? Suppose I said to you, what is it about the particular way the mint produces this coin that gives it that special value that it has? Is it some special chemical ingredient in the metal that makes it worth 25 cents? Or, and you, know, you could look, you could use the most ingenious coin imaging technologies that you could conceive of, and you're never going to visualize or instantiate the value. Why? Not because the value is, is, real, is false, not because the value is, is illusory, but because the value isn't an ingredient. The value of the money comes from a much larger system uh, involving interactions between many people and laws and, and structures and practices. And it's all of that that's in virtue of which the money has made. That's a very interesting metaphor. I, I'm trying to get my arms around. Is, is it really relevant, though? Because it's a semantic question, maybe, of what you mean by consciousness, but anything that I'm going to feel or see or sense in any way has to be represented in my brain. That's certainly the, uh, a working assumption that many scientists make. For every event in consciousness, there is an event in the brain, the occurrence of which is that event in consciousness or suffices for that event suffices, in consciousness. Suffices, yes. What I'm interested in is why should we assume that uh, an event in the brain is alone sufficient for consciousness? We spend all our lives, not just as free-floating brains, we're embodied, we're, we're environmentally embedded, we're socially nurtured from the very beginnings of our lives. If there's going to be a science of consciousness, it's going to be a science that enables us to understand the role the brain is playing in a dynamic, active involvement of the whole, in the whole organism's life. It's not just consciousness happens in the brain. It's not like that. The brain is part of the dynamic network thanks to which we can achieve consciousness. Consciousness is not something the brain achieves on its own, Alva argues. Consciousness requires the joint operation of brain, body, and world. Okay, but anything outside the brain, whether body or world, must be represented inside the brain. How else could it matter? Which leaves consciousness still the mystery. What about the extreme opposite of body and world? Could there be a vastly different kind of solution in the bizarre behaviors of ultra-micro quantum mechanics? That's why I go to meet a quantum physicist at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratories. Henry Stapp claims to explain consciousness. Quantum mechanics does not have a complete deterministic system. In fact, if you analyze the structure of quantum mechanics, an important element is that a human being has to ask a, a particular question. And there's no rules in the quantum mechanical system for what that question will be. So you have a, a, an essential element of indeterminacy associated with the asking of a particular question that um, comes into the quantum mechanical, which is completely unlike anything in classical mechanics. And does this, therefore, elevate consciousness to something of, of fundamental importance as opposed to some artifact of the, of the classical Newtonian clockwork world? In the Newtonian 
picture, you have to think that this, that this consciousness either does nothing at all, but here there is a role for consciousness. It has to come in to pose a particular question that the quantum mechanical formalism then supplies an answer. And by doing so, it becomes then a fundamental part of reality. We don't doubt that it's part of the, part of the world. Well, some Conscious, <laughs> you know, that it exists. I mean, certainly it exists. Now, there's something for it to do, and uh, the rules of quantum mechanics are built around the fact of this input of something that comes in practice out of a conscious choice. It is injected into the causal structure. So let me see if I, I got this. We need consciousness because of this openness in quantum mechanics to come in to uh, ask the question, the observer needs to ask the question so that the quantum mechanical system can, can function. And that allows consciousness to have a causal impact, not just to be real in some uh, uh, far away manner, but to really have a cause on the world. I mean, this is beautiful. You know, it's just, it answers basically, I mean, it doesn't give you all the details of every answer, but it gives you the basic structure of understanding how consciousness can affect your actions, your physical actions. To Henry, the only way consciousness can have any effect on the world is through the causal gap in quantum mechanics. But virtually every brain scientist rejects the idea that quantum mechanics, operating on microparticles everywhere, plays any special role in the hot, wet, brain. I am wearying with explanations. Maybe there's something wrong with the concept of consciousness. Still in Berkeley, I go across town to the university to meet George Lakoff, professor of cognitive linguistics. George calls consciousness embodied mind. Will that help? George, what, what is it about consciousness that, that's so baffling? Well, many, many things. When you look at consciousness, it has many properties. Attention is one of its properties. Memory has to do with consciousness. Unity of consciousness has to do with consciousness. We know, for example, the brain does come, is broken up into many parts doing different computations, but there's a phenomenon called a neural binding that links different parts of the brain together via neural circuitry of a certain kind, creating a unity of consciousness. It turns out that thought is embodied because the brain not only has a structure in itself, but that structure is there to run a body. And every concept you have has to be instantiated in your brain, but the brain is not a general purpose uh, concept generator. Uh, the brain has a structure that is embodied, and the concepts you have can only come out of that body. And the question is, how exactly does that work? And in cognitive science and neuroscience, when you put all of that together, what it shows is that uh, our conceptual system does not just fit the world in itself. In a very simple way, uh, when you learn about the physiology of color, color is not out there in the world. Your brain is, and your body are creating color and color categories. They wouldn't exist otherwise. But it's not just color, it's everything. And that's the shocker. The shocker is we understand the world in terms of what we can do with our bodies. 
are we leaving out that first-person experience, that, that sense of so-called qualia, that uh, we can imagine everything that we've said, yet without that inner experience? The answer is yes, we're leaving something out. Right now, our science and our ability to study things scientifically cannot answer two questions of consciousness. We cannot answer what it means to be aware. There is no, not only no science, there isn't even a method of modeling it. The same thing with qualia. You know, the fact that red looks red and not green, that a cello sounds like a cello, not a piano, and, and so what on. that feels like. And what that feels like. Maybe our mental capacities don't allow us to understand those aspects of consciousness. How does consciousness weave its magical web of inner awareness? Theories are wildly diverse. Embodied mind, extrasensory perception, meditative experiences. Apparent consciousness by non-biological intelligences. The idea that consciousness must involve interaction with the world. The idea that consciousness must work through quantum mechanics. Some believe consciousness is entirely physical. Others, that there's some non-physical component lurking within. All seem sure. All but me. Trained in brain science, I lean toward the physical. Living as a sentient being, I lean away. Consciousness is a deep probe of the mystery of existence. That's why it's closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.